What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello, everyone. Inc. Business Media Executive Editor Diana Ransom here. We're hard at work on a new Inc. podcast called From the Ground Up, a show where Inc.'s editor-at-large, Christine Ligorio-Chafkin, and yours truly talk to founders about what it takes to start and grow a company amid the gauntlet of hard things we all have to manage on a daily basis. From the Ground Up premieres March 21st. Make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, listen to this Inc. 5000 panel where my co-host spoke to Shark Tank's own Daniel Lubetsky about his life and his journey creating Kind, a now $5 billion company. Enjoy. Hello. As the voice of God told us, I am Christine Legorio chapkin I'm an editor-at-large at Inc. Magazine, and I am so pleased to be joined today by Daniel Lubetsky. You may know Daniel from his recurring appearances on Shark Tank, or you may know him from the delicious snacks that he's created. He launched his fruit and nut bars, Kind Snacks, in 2004. There were a couple rough years, but by 2017, it was a billion-dollar business. By 2020, it sold to Mars for $5 billion. At least that's a number I've read. Um, there's plenty you may not know about Daniel, though. He is the son of a Holocaust survivor. And his first major foray into business began with PeaceWorks, a venture that used market forces to bring Israelis and Palestinians together to strengthen recognition of their shared humanity. This year, he spun up something new. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you for joining us. I'd thank love for you to tell, tell me what you launched in 2023. First of all, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with fellow entrepreneurs. This voice sounds to me very heavy and deep. I hope you're not hearing the depth of the echo <laughs> that I'm hearing. But um, uh, I started... Before I started with uh, Kind, I started PeaceWorks, which had very, very humble beginnings. And I look forward to telling you everything we went through, because everything seems too easy from afar. But in fact, it was a, a, a very long journey. Um, and, but just to answer your question, Christine, we founded Camino Partners to try to join other entrepreneurs and help them fulfill their aspirations and their dreams and maximize their potential uh, using a values-led approach to create value. And so we have a toolkit of things that we learned, not just from Kind, but from PeaceWorks and other companies to try to help us navigate uh, all the different stages of growth and then help companies grow with us. Yeah, and, and you're um, working with food brands. You've launched a new food brand yourself. Um, are you, it's not just an investment vehicle. It feels like a new journey for you a little bit. Is that true? I think the difference between Camino and most other investors is that we're first and foremost operators. We started kind from nothing, from a $10,000 investment. And I was the CEO every step of the way from being a one-person operation to a seven-person operation to 20-person, 50, 100, 300, 400. And uh, every phase, you 
discover things that you didn't know. And something interesting is that once we were sophisticated enough, we would create something called enterprise risk management. and would come up and think about all the different risks that could hit us and mark them and work towards them. And then the next year, something else would hit us that we hadn't planned for. So we, we've learned a lot through that journey. And what we do is help, we really help uh, companies scale and really be in the trenches with them. And so we have far more operators and we have investors on our team. It's very much designed to make a very small number of investments in partners that we really want to help scale. That's great. And, and how do you evaluate um, the companies that you're going to work with or start? I mean, you've had such a rich career and history in social entrepreneurship, in, in starting actual sort of nonprofits and grassroots organizations as well. Are you evaluating these companies based on their social missions as well? Um, if you have a social mission that truly fuels you and guides you and helps you uh, sustain all of the challenges you're going to face. We love that. We, I, I would, all things being equal, prefer uh, to help a company that has a purpose that's beyond just making money. But I would never want to invest in a company that has a made-up social purpose that doesn't feel authentic. I'm fine investing in companies that are just here to generate jobs, that are here to create a positive culture. I think you do entrepreneurs already by creating jobs, by creating a positive environment. They're already making this a better world. So for me, that's enough of a social purpose. If there's an additional aspect, we love it, but it has to be authentic. Uh, but the way we evaluate partners is probably first and foremost really looking at values because what's important is who's going to be your partner during the tough times. So if things are going well, then it's a little bit less friction. But when things are not going well, how do you make sure that the person next to you is going to work hard, you know, be very creative, but don't uh, betray, uh, in, make sure that they have integrity. So I think integrity is the most important uh, thing we look for in partners. And probably the second most important, very, very important, so is introspection, is self-reflection, is people that can be criticizing themselves, not to be mean to yourself, because that can also be very dangerous, right? Like, when, you know, I'm a confused Mexican Jew, so I'm always worrying about everything, and like, I get down too much, so don't be that way either. But, um, but the ability to take feedback or to give yourself feedback, to reflect and talk to yourself is just essential because it's what marks people's growth. And particularly in today's age where we have our devices with us everywhere we go, the danger is that we're not talking to ourselves enough. Every single minute we're filling it with checking our tweets and our schmitz and our WhatsApp and our schmatsapp <laughs> and all these things. And uh, it's very dangerous to not have the time for you to go on a walk and just reflect on what's important to you, what gives you meaning, how did you do today, were you able to spend enough time with the people that you love and that love you and not take them for granted because in an entrepreneur's journey, the greatest power you have is that you're an entrepreneur and that you're just going to work nonstop to achieve your dreams. That can also be a very big threat to you making sure that you keep perspective and not like lose sight of the fact that what's also most important is just giving love to those that love you and, and, to, and to find that framework. So I think self-reflection is very important. Yeah, yeah. Do you screen for that? I mean, is there like a question to ask to, 
to find someone's integrity, to find their I'm, introspection, uh, yes, or is that just a gut? one question, but I'm not about to tell you because then everybody's done. <laughs> no, there's, no, there's not one yeah. question. The way I conduct my conversations, they're not really interviews, they're conversations. My team thinks I'm crazy, but they call it the Mexican Inquisition because... <laughs> You know, everybody can answer the, this is a, a, a tool for you when you hire. Everybody can answer the first question, right? Everybody's been trained to know how to answer the first level question. What you need to know is stay with that question and drill down and they'll drill down and they'll drill down because that's when you can tell if people are full of BS or if they really thought about something. Because all of us learn how to answer what's our brand about, what's our mission, what's our sales with this. But when you, whatever, Aria, you just go drilling in and you say, well, what about this? What about this? Within a particular line of thought, just go deeper. You, all of a sudden are able to appreciate how people think, how they respond to questions that come out of the blue or situations or scenarios. So I think what's important is to go deeper wherever you're going. And then you start understanding people's nature. Mm-hmm. You, you've never been a journalist. That seems very uh, right up my alley. <laughs> is that a journalism technique? Yeah, absolutely. No absolutely. Um, that said, I'm going to leave this line of questioning and take a step back in time. Um, Daniel, you, you, you referred to yourself as a confused Mexican Jew. You grew up in large part in Mexico City. Um, your father was a Holocaust survivor and a huge inspiration to you. Um, what was your relationship with, with him and, and how did that, did that inspire you in terms of your entrepreneurship? Yeah. And by the way, I should say that when we moved from Mexico, we moved to San Antonio, Texas. So oh, I it's used gonna to live here. going to be my here. next. Yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. It's okay. But if there is any San Antonians, uh, hi. Uh, I was raised in Mexico City when I was nine years old. I started hearing about what my father went through. And I remember my mom said, Roman, why are you talking to him about this stuff? This is horrible. And he turned back to her and said, yes, he's nine years old and he needs to hear it. I was nine years old when I needed to live through it. And it definitely marked me. And if you trace back to every business venture and every social enterprise and civic effort that I've built and, and I've done a lot of different things to build bridges, that's a common thread in everything I do because that's... I found from an early age that that's what gives me meaning, which is to build bridges to try to prevent what happened to my dad from happening away to other human, again to other human beings. And so uh, what's interesting about my dad is that he went through a horrible uh, period in humanity, but he never forgot it, but he also never allowed it to consume and, and diminish him. He, he was the kindest person you would have met. Uh, some, uh, still today when I'm in San Antonio and I go to a bank teller or to the um, airport counter, they see my name and oh, did you know Mr. Roman Lubetsky? And like he would really make it his habit to light people's lives. Like everywhere he went, he would start cracking a joke. And if the waiter or waitress was in a bad mood, he'd go for the second joke, the third joke, fourth joke. And us as kids were cringing, <laughs> but then he would break them down and make them smile. And by the end of the dinner, they were enjoying life and having a, a slightly better day. And uh, the, the reason we named the company Kind was after my father, because he didn't just remember the horrors of the concentration camp and uh, the way he almost died and he weighed 70 pounds 
when he was liberated by American soldiers, he was six foot tall, six feet tall. So imagine he was six feet tall and weighed 70 pounds. He was barely alive. Um, but he remembered moments where even the enemy showed him kindness. There was a German soldier when nobody was watching that threw a potato by his feet. And he would tell us about that moment as a moment that gave him hope in humanity. It didn't just nourish him with calories that were much needed, but it also kept him alive. So I, I think that that very much informed um, my view of the world. Mm -hmm. And did he later in life inform your view toward starting companies as well? I mean, what, yes. was your, what was your spirit as a kid? I mean, I feel like many entrepreneurs, uh, they either fall into, you know, uh, there's a couple of different buckets, but one are the kids who want to make money, then there's the kids who, who want to learn everything and like dive, dive into various yeah. topics. My dad, Which were you? My dad was a very special person. I should have <laughs> answered your question. Sure, by sure. Way. He, he arrived to, the, to Mexico with a third grade education because when the war started, he only went through third grade. Uh, I was the first person to go through college in my family. Um, and he didn't speak Spanish or English. And the way he educated himself was by reading used encyclopedias. And he read them cover to cover, volume A, volume B, volume C. And he was a self-made entrepreneur. He built a very successful business. And I watched him do that. So I often get asked why and how I became an entrepreneur and where did that entrepreneurial bug come from. It clearly was inspired by the example from my father, but I don't know more. I ask myself the question whether you can teach entrepreneurship, whether you're born with it. I'm sure it's a combination, but yeah, since I was a kid, I was doing magic shows as a kid and boring people to death uh, with, with my magic tricks. <laughs> um, and and uh, till today, I still do magic. And uh, I still bore people to death doing magic. And... Um, I used to, when I was here in San Antonio, I used to go to the Eisenhower flea market and sell watches and all sorts of uh, trinkets. Uh, and then I had a kiosk in North Star Mall and in Ingram Park Mall where we would sell watches and uh, I had a student network of a bunch of other Trinity University students that would help me man the, the kiosk and sell watches. and. Uh, since I was a kid, I, I, uh, I loved building businesses. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you went to law school. And then you did something with your law degree. Um, and then you flew to the Middle East and decided to start a social, uh, social mission-driven business. Yeah, so I was at Trinity here when I started writing my thesis on the influence of economics in resolving the Arab-Israeli conflict. And it was a very, very popular thesis among doctors, because there's a 268 page thing, and if you had trouble falling asleep, they would <laughs> give it to you, and you'd fall asleep right away. It was very theoretical, and then in law school, I kept writing about it, and I got a fellowship after law school to go and try to turn the theory into practice. A long story short, I, uh, instead of becoming a lawyer or a consultant, I started PeaceWorks, which was trying to bring theory into practice by bringing Israelis, Palestinians, Jordanians, Egyptians, Turks, to trade with one another at a symmetrical level as equals, as partners, and discover each other's humanity as they work with one another, and then cement relationships because they had vested economic interest in preserving those relationships. And then we took that model to Indonesia, where 
We worked with a Muslim, Buddhist, and Christian cooperative, all women-owned and operated. Then in Sri Lanka, been doing Sinhalese and, and Tamils. We tried stuff in South Africa and in Mexico. And by the way, all of it was a little bit too excited about our mission and not executing very well because it made no sense that we had ventures in all continents and we barely had any sales. But, <laughs> but we, we were very mm. passionate about the social mission. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask what, what worked and what didn't. Um, it, it seems like maybe you expanded too fast, but in, in Israel at least, like what, what worked in terms of starting what that What worked business? is that the glue of economic cooperation really works. When people break bread together, when they discover each other's humanity, when they get to understand each other at equals, you break a tremendous amount of barriers and, and it's so essential to, for entrepreneurs to build bridges and to be that force of problem solvers that are building bridges. I, I think uh, I can give you many examples of how that worked in spite of the horrible conflict that we're going through today and that we've gone uh, through over, over decades. It really, it's obviously not a solution, a whole solution, but it's a part of the mosaic of things that we need to do. Build hope, build relationships, help people discover each other and each other's humanity so that you can then try to uh, build a better future. Um, what didn't work was almost everything else <laughs> because... <laughs> I, again, I was this Mexican Jewish lawyer selling sun-dried tomato spreads made by Israelis and Palestinians, walking the streets of New York with a brand that was geniusly called Moshe Pupik and Ali Mishmukem's <laughs> world-famous gourmet foods. And I thought it was like so clever that it was so long that would, people would find it hilarious and would tell it to everybody. But it's so long, nobody wanted to repeat that name. And so that's why then we came up with kind, just four, word, four letters. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, I was very in love with the social mission, but at the beginning I was so focused on the social mission that I didn't talk about the products themselves. Like I spent paragraphs and all the materials talking about the social mission. So when I had like um, street fairs and I was selling my products on the streets, like all these people would listen to me and they say, oh, that's so nice. Can they introduce you to my daughter? Because they loved that I was a nice kid, but then <laughs> they would not buy anything because I was just so obsessed with the social mission. And when I started focusing on the product and what I learned is the social mission can give you a lot of purpose. It can give you a lot of passion. It can open some doors. It can generate loyalty, but your product or service has to stand on its own merit. Like it has to be the best product at the best value proposition at the best price. And it, it, the social mission can never be a crutch or else it's really not gonna scale up. You have to have, uh, for example, a kind product for the first many years at Kind, we didn't even talk about a social mission. We did a lot of work to in, in, uh, 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 try to inspire kindness, but when we talked about it, when we invested the little resources we had, it was helping people discover a delicious and healthful product. And that's what drove our sales. And still today, the reason people buy a Kind bar, it's because it's kind to your body by being nutritionally dense. Everything we make leads with a nutrient-dense ingredient and kind to your taste buds by being delicious. Um, and the kind to your world is something that's super important to me and to our team, but it, it cannot be what we lead our marketing efforts mm -hmm. with because then people will say very nice and try to marry off to their daughter, <laughs> but they're not going to. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Right, right. And, and when you started Kind, which sort of grew out of Peaceworks, it sort of was a, you had this idea for a healthy, healthy snack food, and then you had to convince consumers to just try something new. How, how did you do that? Um, so I, I, would go, I would literally go door by door, store by store. I would wake up at 7 a.m. in the morning. And um, let's say when I was in Manhattan, I would start on 122nd Street on Broadway. Because Broadway, I, I mapped it out at 2 a.m. in the morning after my dates. Because you kids don't know us 55-year-olds. There was no iPhones and uh, maps and stuff like that. So everything now is digital. But back then, at 2 a.m. in the morning, when I finished my date, I would take a piece of paper and I would map out Manhattan and I would write, oh, on 122nd and uh, Broadway, there's a store and I would, and the next day or the next uh, week, I would then with my map know where to walk and I would go door by door, store by store and like embarrass myself going into the wrong store because I, it was not the right store and you had to figure it out and it was just all the mistakes in the world, but it was just, introducing them to our product, and then they would look, let's say when it was a kind brother, like, this is really interesting, but I've never seen something like that, so I don't think I can carry it, because I don't know where I would carry it. Like, if you see our nutritional bar set, let us show you what it looks like, and I would open what they were back then, nutritional bars, and it looked like astronaut food, and I'm like, that's the point. It's different, but it was so differentiated, there was no section, back then there was no healthy snack set mm. for people to know how to merchandise it, so we had to work really hard to convince them to put us, um, in the healthy snack set. Something that worked really well to our advantage that we turned a weakness into an opportunity is we then convince them, fine, let us just put a rack by the counters because there was no place to house us and the product would just fly off those racks. So the fact that they didn't know to mer where to merchandise us sometimes helped us break the rules and, uh, and, and get a disruptive location that was its own island, and then people would discover the product and in the transparent wrapper, which was also a uh, very breakthrough back then, and, and, and would, the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I, but when you and I were back there, you said entrepreneurs also want to know about your mistakes. Let me just tell you, it took a lot of errors to get there, and when I was doing PeaceWorks for 10 years, I made so many mistakes. One of the mistakes that I made was that I wanted to be everything to everybody and ended up being nothing to nobody. Like our sales never broke two or three million dollars and very often they were under a million dollars. And um, we wanted to be in Bloomingdale's and Macy's and in a convenience store. And like we really had no idea about having a, a migration strategy and understanding what channels we should be in and what channels we should know in. We wanted to be everywhere. When our first three products did well, People told me, you just need to get more products on the shelf. So I went, we went from three products to seven products. The additional products were good. And we're like, okay, well, if it worked, why don't we go more? And I'm like, we need more products. We need more products. And 
I was just pushing too hard to just expand the shelves. Eventually, the, uh, the how do you say when you have something really, really embarrassing that should, the bane of my existence, <laughs> is that the expression? It, it can be. Is this product called Moshe Pupi Canale Mishmukis, world famous gourmet foods, sweet and spicy teriyaki pepper spread. So just remember, it was a Mediterranean venture between Israelis and Palestinians, but we're so desperate for other ideas, we create this sweet and spicy teriyaki pepper spread. Made no sense. And what's worse, if you opened it, it was like a blob of gelatin. It was just not the right product. And I knew it in my heart. But I lied to myself and said, well, you know, if somebody doesn't like that one, they'll choose the other one. It doesn't work that way. If you do not protect your brand, you know, what is a brand? A brand is a promise. And a great brand is a promise well kept. So if people tried your first Moshe Alice on their tomato spread and it's delicious, it was really good. They trust you and then they're going to buy your next product. If then they buy your sweet and spicy teriyaki pepper gelatinous monstrosity, you've betrayed their trust. You have betrayed their trust in you. And guess what? They will not just stop buying that product. They'll stop buying your brand altogether. So entrepreneurs need to protect their brand. That's why at Kind, we really got learning from the mistakes. We guard the brand promise and we really work very hard to only launch products that will really live up to being kind to your body, meaning nutritionally dense. Everything has to lead with nutrient-dense ingredients. Kind to your taste, but it has to be delicious. And then kind to your world, we have to do it in the way that we're trying to do something positive for the world. Yeah. Sorry. Absolutely. Um, She's like, shut up. Now. No, no, no. I just, I, I, um, I, it strikes me that you may have been missing the middle C of your three C's. Um, Daniel, when you were on Shark Tank, uh, you, you, you told the founders of Blueland who were pitching you that there were um, three C's of entrepreneurship. And um, that sounds cheesy, but it's actually a really great lesson. So I'd love for you to explain. Yeah, the three C's of uh, the entrepreneurial process is the creative, the critic, and the crusader. Uh, the consummate critic is what you were saying that was missing from our process back then. The creative is a phase where you have to just think outside the box. It's a very, very important phase. It's a phase where most entrepreneurs presumably do well, to think creatively and figure out what doesn't exist that could make the world better? What product or service could solve a problem? And the way I tend to think about it is isolate assumptions that make you think why th something cannot be the, the way. In our case, it was you had two products that was either healthy or tasty. And why? And so we challenged that and we, we, you came up with a kind product to be by using nutrient-dense ingredients, challenge that conventional wisdom. So the creative phase is not just for launching products or ventures, it's for creating marketing campaigns, for uh, coming up with any disruptive ideas for you to win against the established entrenched guys. You need to have a creative mindset that can outperform the large companies to level the playing field. You then need to apply the critic mindset. And it's very important that you separate them because if in the creative mindset, you apply the critic at the same time, you might prevent the best ideas from coming out. So during the creative process, when you're brainstorming, 
There's no bad ideas. You write everything on the board. The stupider it gets, the more you write it down. And you keep going and going and going. You just write all the creative stuff. Because sometimes what seems really dumb is when you have breakthrough ideas. But then you do need to just step back, go to lunch, take a day, come back to all your creativity, and then start applying the filters. That's a critic phase. When you start applying the filters, do I have permission to win here? Does my brand fit with this? Do I have the skill sets to do it? Do I have the resources to do it? Uh, countless other questions. You need to figure out what are your filters, and then ask yourself the toughest questions. Be your own worst critic so that you are able to filter through bad ideas, look at the competitive landscape, make sure that you really have what it takes to get to the finish line. Because once you go to your third phase, which is the crusader phase, the, you're gonna have to switch something off of all of the doubt and just go and execute. And during that third phase, you're gonna face a lot of challenges. You're gonna face more challenges than you anticipated. You're gonna have tough days. You're gonna have horrible moments. And so you need to be strong and sustain through all of those challenges. To sustain through all those challenges, you need to first make sure that you ask all of the tough questions before you go out and execute so you can adjust your strategy and then go out with your best you. Absolutely. Um, Dana, you've done business in Israel. Obviously, the Hamas and Israeli war right now is on everyone's minds. Um, and I feel like a lot of business owners are, are on edge. You know, they're a little fearful of speaking up. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, but what advice would you have for when it's time to say, say what's on your mind or say where you stand on a, a big issue. Let um, me talk to how. both issues. Yeah. Let me talk to the current situation and let me talk to the broader mindset for how to talk about these issues. First of all, in times of war, what the Hamas terrorists did, you look at their actions and you're like, how could these people think that raping a woman and then parading her through Gaza and kidnapping her, that kidnapping two-year-olds that, I'm sorry, you, you asked me this question, I'm gonna say it, that taking a pregnant woman, cutting her open, stabbing the baby, and then killing the woman, how could anybody think that that's gonna get you on their side? It makes no sense, but what you need to understand is their goal is to divide, to destroy, and to diminish. Their goal is not for there to be a Palestinian state in peace with Israel. I've worked for 30 years with Palestinians that are peace-loving people, with Muslims that are wonderful human beings. The vast majority of human beings, whether they're Jewish, Muslim, Palestinian, Israeli, Arab, Christian, the vast majority of people are moderates. The overwhelming majority of people are moderates. But the problem is that extremists who are in the minority wake up in the morning and they think, how can I advance my cause? And moderates wake up in the morning and they're like, what can I have for breakfast? <laughs> and as long as we allow that to be the case, extremists are gonna hijack our lives in every realm, in our lives here in the United States and abroad. Moderates need to become builders because extremists are very passionate and extremists who act violently are destroyers. It's builders versus destroyers. The overwhelming majority of people across all faiths, religions, denominations, politics, they're moderates that can become builders. But we need to be builders. We cannot allow in today's day and age to just be moderates. Because if we're silent in these situations, it really, really gives a voice to the extremists to hijack 
our minds and our hearts, which is what's happening right now. You see some of the stuff, the, as a son of a Holocaust survivor, to see people chanting death to the Jews, gas the Jews, it's not theoretical for me, it's very real. And so I really, really appreciate when people stand up and say, I will condemn all forms of hate, I will condemn anti-Semitism, I will condemn Islamophobia, I will condemn any person that denies the humanity of another person. I think it's very important that we feel, feel, feel uh, my accent gets in the way, that we feel, feel, feel. I don't know which one it is, <laughs> that we fill, fill the void. Fill the void. That one, F-I-L-L. Uh, fill the void uh, with moral courage to stand together against extremism and not, not allow the terrorists and the destroyers to divide, destroy, and diminish us. We must unite, build, and bring light to the world together as humanity, as civilization. And it includes the overwhelming majority of Muslims, Jews, Christians, Hindus, atheists, non-denominations. We just need to fill that. Now, mm. specifically, thank you. Thank you so much. Let, let me ask, you, our, our time is up, so let me just ask you to follow up on that very quickly. This is a room full of builders right now that you're speaking to. What advice, and, and we must make it brief if possible, do you have for building in a robust social mission to your business that is, is relevant and, and makes the biggest impact possible? I think you need to go on a walk with yourself and spend time thinking, what's important? What gives me meaning? And if you have an idea for a gadget that you just want to be an entrepreneur and that gadget is going to make people's lives better, you don't need to invent a social mission because it can be awkward and fake and then it's actually going to not be good for society and for you. But if what gives you meaning is cleaning up the oceans and you came up with a way to do it that's entrepreneurial, that's amazing. I personally love using market forces to channel market forces to not just make money but also make your small contribution to make this a better world. So if, you, if it gives you meaning and you can authentically do it, I do think you, you're going to enjoy the journey so much more. And every day that you're pursuing something you, you authentically care about, you'll have more impact. So time is up, so I'll be quiet. All right. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Hi again, it's Diana. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, but before you go, here is a special segment presented by Chase. Remember, Inc.'s From the Ground Up podcast premieres March 21st. Make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon. Hello, and welcome to this special mini-series in partnership with Chase. I am joined by Matt Wilson. He is the co-founder and CEO of the travel company Under 30 Experiences. Let's start with how you and your partner came up with the idea for Under 30 Experiences. 
Sure. So Under 30 Experiences is a travel company for young people ages 21 to 35. And I was randomly invited on a trip to Iceland. And when I went, my mind was totally blown. Volcanoes and glaciers and friends that I made that were direct descendants from the Vikings and all of their stories and their history and their culture. We said, you know what? I think we could bring some people over to Iceland and uh, make a little business out of this. And Sure enough, we did. Ended up traveling to Costa Rica, uh, down to Nicaragua. I got invited to Indonesia, and business just kind of took off from there. So how soon after launching did you decide to get your first business credit card? So immediately after realizing we wanted to go into business, we just said, okay, we need to start A, building credit for our business and B, accumulating points as soon as possible. So anything that we could possibly put on our credit card, any type of business expense, we absolutely put on our credit card. Credit cards, of course, for the convenience, it's the best. But also immediately we said, all right, we're going to have uh, travel expenses. So let's get them on the credit card and start earning points. That could have been our flights and our accommodations and our meals and our ground transportation. I mean, now we're expanded to probably 25 different countries. We need to send somebody to South Africa to go and make sure that the accommodations are in line with our brand and taste the food and capture uh, content for social media and do all these things that are important in running a travel business. Well, again, uh, the more points we can accumulate uh, to be able to cash them in for free travel, the better. Okay. And as a travel enthusiast, this last question may be a challenge for you to answer, but your favorite destination and why? All right, I'm going to have to go this time with Thailand to be able to go down to the, the beaches, go rock climbing, go up into the, the jungle, see their temples. It's just an incredible experience. So Thailand has got to be at the very top of my list. Oh, that's on my list to visit for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. You're very welcome, Shanae. Thanks for having me. I'm Shanae Williams, and on behalf of Inc. Studio and Chase, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.